The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Reading your man files and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik here to announce show number 75 with guest Miguel Diacaja, recorded live Thursday, August 5th. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASP.NET classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Dundas Chart, advanced technology, advanced results. Online at www.dunduschart.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man brave enough to take on Miguel, mano a mano, Carl Franklin. Yo, 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 yo. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to another stellar edition of .NET Rocks. I'm your host, Carl Franklin, in Jacksonville, Florida tonight, doing the remote thing. And uh, as always, my friend with a chihuahua out there in Portland, Oregon, my co-host, my partner in crime, now a Microsoft wonk, Mr. Rory Blythe. How are you doing, Rory, sir? I'm doing good. My dog's being really, really bad, the chihuahua you just talked about. He's sitting behind me, and I think he barked about 30 seconds ago, but I'm hoping he's going to be quiet for the rest of the show. I'm good. The dog's being bad. He's being a naughty dog. But aside from that, things are good. Yeah, he was. Uh, you had a little dog emergency earlier. Yeah, right? actually. Um, I was all set to do the show. I was getting the uh, audio module set up. I was going to plug everything in. I go to turn it on, and I get no power. So I'm thinking, well, what's going on here? Um, I follow the, the cord back to the AC adapter, and it turns out that my dog who is obviously not satisfied with the three square meals we furnish him every single day, day in, day out, decided to eat the power adapter as well. So there was just a little mess of plastic and chewed on cables down there. And I had to run down to Radio Shack really quick, pick up a replacement, come back here, plug everything in, and uh, finish putting the news together. So did you have to give him your serial number and your uh, social security number and your address? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, they've gotten a lot better. Yeah, um, they, they just have. asked for my zip code. And I was in such a hurry that I didn't even take the time to tell the guy to piss off. I just gave him the zip code and we went along with it. And it was all good. Cool. So got how back you in the car, doing? got back here. How you been doing? You've um, been doing a lot of blogging. A lot of yeah, great actually, stuff on your blog this week. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been getting back into uh, blogging on a regular basis. because I, I don't know what it is. It's like something just flipped um i think i'm so happy about the new job at microsoft and i feel like i have so much direction and i'm doing what i really want to be doing right now that it's kind of i don't know i guess uh uh kind of permeating my entire life and 
that sort of motivated me to to write a bit more and just do a bit more stuff. I guess I have a little bit more energy. Well, and if you've uh, never read Rory's blog, it's not just all about programming. In fact, a lot of it is just brilliant writing. And in fact, you know, I was I was dying laughing today. I, I looked at the uh, where to get your rich and fruity sauce, <laughs> in which uh, you you referred to a blog, uh, Ian, who posted about a British food store. And uh, then you you had links to all these British food products at this web store. And uh, your commentary is just incredibly funny. I just wet myself reading this. Some of these things. Uh, you said, here's one. You had a link to Bennett Opie Pickled Walnuts. The pickled peanuts are good too, but not, nothing beats an Opie Pickled Walnut. Well, what in the hell is a pickled walnut? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How can you pickle a nut? And what do you do with Bisto them? That's the original powder. You said... This is really the best powder that you can buy anywhere, and it sure beats the poorly executed Bisto Powder Mark II. <laughs> well, I love it because what is original powder? I don't even know what it's for. It's just yeah, powder. It it's it's just, just so powder. suspicious. <laughs> Generic powder. And the Branston Rich and Fruity Sauce, you said, this is a lifesaver because I was getting sick of going out for dinner just to find out that my favorite restaurants didn't have any rich and fruity sauce. I'd be all like, what in the hell kind of place is this? No fruity sauce? What do you expect me to put on my Norfolk Manor pickled cockles? Shipham's bloater paste? <laughs> and these are all linked items. Shipham's bloater paste. I just love that. Because I don't so know what any of this man. stuff is. What the hell is bloater paste? Corey asked me that this morning, too, after reading the entry. She said, what is bloater paste? And I, I don't know. There is no photo. There's no description. I'm guessing it's just bloater that's been pounded into a paste. But what the hell is bloater? And you say, are you trying to make me sick? Everybody knows bloater paste is, is meant for fruity malt loaf, but only a perverted weirdo would try to put it on pickled cockles. I suppose next you're going to want me to eat my Bisto chicken gravy granules without any Coleman's creamy seafood sauce. <laughs> Yeah, they eat, they eat weird stuff, you know. And of course, they probably think we eat weird stuff, and they'd probably be right, especially if they went to go see Super Size Me. True. But their stuff, you know, there's just some weird food out there. And it's there. the funny-sounding yeah. names, too, that just kill you. Well, there's so much rhythm in that. That's what I liked about it. Next, you're going to want me to eat my Bisto chicken gravy granules without any Coleman's creamy seafood sauce. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, like reading, it's like reading really, really nursery bad rhymes. Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> or nursery Knocky rhymes or something. picky wacky. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. So that was some crazy stuff. Yeah, so I've been having fun with the blogging. And I've also been trying to... Uh, I've been getting set up with my new life at Microsoft, going through all that stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of emailing going on. And I'm going to be heading down to Dallas next week for my new employee orientation. And then after that, I'm going to head down to Shadow Russ Fastino, your buddy. Yeah, that's right. He told me about with. that yeah. last night. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, my first week I get to spend in Florida. You know, yep. it, it it doesn't get much better. And then after that, I'm going to fly back to Portland, then fly back out. I'm going to go to uh, Louisville, Kentucky for a couple of days. Then I'm going to go up to Cincinnati, Ohio. And this is for a little more shadowing and possibly helping to give some presentations. Mm -hmm. and then after that, I'm going to fly back here. And then a week later, I think I'm going to Tacoma, Washington, and then I'll be presenting in Portland. And yeah, I'm I'm so excited. That's this is great. this is going to be an awesome job. So yeah. And you, know, uh, you also you also address some of the the questions that, that people are all asking you, like, and we said on last week's show too, like, does this mean you're not doing .NET Rocks? Are you going to stop blogging? You know, and nothing could be further from the truth. So, 
Yeah, because the two good, things really help each other out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The .NET Rock stuff helps out with the MSDN presenter stuff. The MSDN presenter stuff helps out with .NET Rocks. It's, yeah, it all works out. It, yeah, it's good. It's a very good thing. So I'm not going to stop doing that. So what have you been doing? What's up, what's up with you? Yeah, well, I'm in Jacksonville right now, Jacksonville, Florida. And as a matter of fact, uh, last night, Russ came up to do a uh, an MSDN event right here in Jacksonville. So I went, and it turned out that you know his presentation was only an hour long, and People sometimes stay an extra hour, and he didn't really have anything planned. So I whipped out like the latest beta or alpha of the .NET Rocks movie and showed some funny clips, and that had people rolling, and uh, that was fun. And afterwards, we you know went out to uh, have a little uh, drinky-poo and uh, with a few people, and he told me that you were coming down to, uh, to shadow him. So yep. that's fantastic. It's all good. And, uh, and right now, I'm here because I'm actually teaching... I'm teaching at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office here, and um, it's a huge police department, and it, it's not just the city, but the, the county, you know, like the whole area. And as I was doing this yesterday, there was like a, a hostage situation right across the river, and like they deployed a SWAT team from the very building that, that I was teaching in. And, uh, you know, it was all on the news and stuff. There was some guy who uh, was holed up in a in an office building, apparently he was a lawyer and he wanted some judge who were, who made a ruling on a case that he represented to resign because he thinks she made it wrong. Anyway, the mayor or somebody talked him out of it and got him to come down, but I guess he had a bomb and it was really wild. Hmm. It was like, you know, the biggest excitement I've had in a long time. So, wow. But he's okay. He's in jail and everybody's safe and nothing happened, but it was, you know, it was weird because it was right across the, right across the river and, you know, the police that were handling it were right there in the building. Oh man. Whoa, that's crazy. Crazy. And you're and you're teaching at the sheriff's office. So what is it? Like the like the VBNet crime unit? I mean Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Halt in the name of VBNet. <laughs> yeah. So hey, don't reach for that dim. That was bad. All right. Well anyway. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Well, anyway, no. What what it is is they uh they have a in house IT department that handles you know their their applications that they need to write you know for uh, logging warrants and all the crime fighting stuff that they do, and um, they're they're into .NET. So cool. Here, you know, nice nice group of people, and uh, that's what I've been doing. So uh you know we got we got a lot of mail. We got quite a few letters of email. Seems like we, you know, we had this lull, and then we sort of lined up quite a few en- excellent people to speak, and uh, and now they're sort of coming out of the woodwork with mail. And uh, man, last week's show was just great with Kimberly Tripp. So we got some got some good comments. And so here, the first one is from Gabriel Streidel, who says, "Man, Carl, way to go! You finally landed the mono god himself, Miguel Miguel de Acasa, but you do it on Doom Three week." i'm so hyped to hear miguel on the show i'm so hyped to blast the friggin hell out of some badass martians i'm so hyped i want to cry guess i'm just gonna have to call into work tomorrow thanks carl gabe zilla p.s you guys do a great job hopefully rory can infect the microsoft borg collective with some of his mind droppings and google weirdos come on longhorn weirdos all right gabe we're gonna send you a dot net rocks mug and uh, this one came from David Foster. Hi, guys. Your shows just keep getting better. The Speaker's Lounge was great. Kim was better. Kim was excellent. My views are probably biased. I'm running a class this semester on, explos- on, explosing? 
on exposing MSSQL via ASP.NET. And I've been looking for a resource I could point the students toward as a reference of how SQL should be done. This is it. I've listened to this show three times, live and twice offline. Best regards, David Foster. All right, David. That's uh, some significant sucking up, don't you think, Rory? I think that deserves uh, a little swag. And uh, Carolus Holman says, Imagine my joy when you started using TinyURL to voice encode your own your on-air URLs. I said an audible right on while on the bus listening to the latest show on my iPod. Fellow bus riders gave me that I hate people who talk on their cell phones too loudly look. It was much easier to get the URLs this time. Congrats on getting the gig with Microsoft. MSDN is a great resource. Now, with all my gushing, I will notice that I, I will note that I posted the tiny URL idea on Carl's blog. So, being the swag whore that I am, please send me some swag, or at least a shout out. And there's a shout out to Carlos. No, no, I'm kidding. We'll send you. Some. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Carlos? No, we'll send you a uh, .NET Rocks coffee mug, soon to be a collector's item, I'm sure. And uh, Matt Davison says, Carl, love your show. I would love to see Anders Heilsberg as a guest on your show. That would be sweet. Thanks. Yeah, so would we, actually. Wouldn't we? I, I think we would. Yeah, absolutely. Fact, yeah, we've, we've asked that, That's him. one of those givens, really. Absolutely. We've, we've asked him, and uh, hopefully someday he'll grace us with his presence, you know? He's bring kind a of class a busy our, guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, bring a little class to our otherwise... Tactless and tasteless show, according to Cold Cash, anyway. So, <laughs> hey, Carl, Rory, Jeff, and Richard. This comes from uh, a 21-year... He says, I'm a 21-year-old. Maybe I'm the youngest listener to .NET Rocks. He, he, from Malta, Europe, who has just finished a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science and currently working as a freelance .NET developer. Well, enough of that crap. However, an interesting trend that has taken place at our local university is that the computer science lecturers have, over the past two years, moved over to .NET, when previously they were hardcore Unix zealots, and every assignment had to be implemented in C. Despite this fact, there, are, there still exists a couple of lecturers who, like the old Christopher Anthony, just keep dissing Microsoft and .NET, the old Christopher Anthony, by the way. Well, maybe one day they'll see the light. Like Christopher Anthony has. Did we say that Christopher Anthony has seen the light? Yes, we think we did. Uh yeah, yeah yeah he definitely yeah. yeah he's been converted he is now seven of nine or whatever I have been listening to the show since the third show and I think it's awesome and as the days go by the show keeps getting better I think Rory rocks and I have somewhat have become a fan of his guess that is somewhat worrying one of the downsides is that I cannot listen to the show live anymore is that would mean I would have to wake up at 3 a.m., but come Mondays, I keep refreshing the webpage impatiently, waiting till the show goes online. .NET Rocks has definitely become part of my weekly agenda. I'm looking forward to the forthcoming shows of Miguel de Acaza and Charles Petzold. I've tried giving Mono a try. However, Linux and its very easy-to-use package installation procedure is driving me up the wall. We'll find out about that. Well, maybe eventually I'll figure it out and manage to run Mono. Mind you, not that I will ever drop Windows for Linux, as my friends say. I should have Microsoft tattooed on my chest since I am a hardcore MS fan. Well, keep up the great work and keep the shows coming. Cheers, Michael. Cool. Michael, you get yourself a nice uh, piece of hardware. Porcelain, to be exact, with some paint on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's the mail, and uh, now I guess it's time for the news. And here with the news of the week, it's Rory Blythe. Well, the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, last week I started using tinyurl, um, yep. which probably made a lot of people really, really happy. And this week I'm going to stop using tinyurl. <laughs> but there's a good reason for it. It's that um, this guy, Kyle Tinsley, emailed me after this show, and he pointed me to a totally .NET uh, tinyurl-like application that he wrote called Shrinkster. So that's at shrinkster.com, S-H-R-I-N-K-S-T-E-R. It does pretty much the same thing as tinyurl, but it has a cool tracking feature as well, so that once I shrink a URL, I can check to see how many times that the, the smaller URL gets hit. Yeah, right. So you, you get some stats, and that's pretty cool. So I use Shrinkster this time instead of tinyurl. Got to have some .NET pride, you know. So uh, yeah, the first absolutely. bit of news that that uh, that we're taking a look at is something that was sent in by John V. Barone, and the title is "Web Addiction Gets Conscripts Out of Army." And I guess the idea is that in Finland, uh, there are some people who just simply can't bear the idea of going away to do their mandatory military service because they can't stand the thought of being separated from the internet for you know, six months at a time. So they're getting out of doing military service simply because they cannot stop IMing with their friends, which I think is pretty cool. And that's probably how I try to get out of the military too. And if that friend Jeffrey Palermo is in Iraq and, or he was, and I don't know if he still is. Jeff, you have to send us an email and let us know, but uh, he was IMing with us and participating live in the show. So he found some bandwidth, obviously. Yeah. I guess it depends where you are. Well, I think this is this is the Finnish military, though, and it's possible that it's oh the just Finnish military. Yeah, ah, I missed that. Part. Yeah, this is not happening in the states. I don't think I don't think we'd be <laughs> quite so lenient and uh, liberal about things here where the military is concerned. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that, and the URL to that is shrinkster dot com slash six m. See, that's pretty cool. I mean, very short. <laughs> yeah, we actually. URL I think Jeff and I, uh, Richard and I, got one this afternoon that was like six f. You know, real. We were like the hundred and first or whatever it is, hundred and second. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, this stuff's pretty brand new. <laughs> All right. And so the next news item is concerning a small-time operating system called Syllable. Um, this was something that showed up over on OS News. It's called Syllable, the little OS with a big future. Hmm. And I typically find these stories interesting. Um, Syllable seems to be uh, kind of competing... Not necessarily competing, um, but maybe in the eyes of the people who follow these OSs, competing with another OS called SkyOS. And these are smaller, uh, from the ground up, um, operating systems that people are putting together in their spare time. And it's not, they they aren't happening on the scale of, say, Linux or or any of the uh, BSDs or anything like that. This is is much smaller scale, and the goals are typically a bit different. Um, And they're, they're really actually very fascinating. They're, they're interesting little OSs. Sometimes I get a little bit sad because I think that if I had what it, what it takes to build an operating system, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd go in and try to imitate the biggies, you know, Windows, right. OS 10, Linux, and stuff like that. And that seems to kind of be what they're doing. I'd probably want to try to find a, you know, a whole new set of metaphors rather than going with a tra- traditional file, folder, window metaphor. Just try to come up with something different. Um, yeah. But at the same time, even though it makes me a little sad to not see them doing this, their efforts are still really interesting. And and there's a lot of work that goes into these that really impresses me. Uh, so that's an interesting story. Yeah, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, the URL is HTTP. Uh, well, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> the URL is <laughs> shrinkster.com slash 6O. And that is the letter O. Awesome. So that's some pretty cool stuff. 
Um, then a few weeks ago, I talked about uh, the city of Munich possibly migrating something like 10,000 Windows desktops to Linux. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, they did. And, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's Linux or that it's open source. The idea of migrating 10,000 desktops from anything to anything else is a nightmare. Um, and I remember just thinking that it doesn't matter really what you're switching from or what you're switching to. It's going to be a very big headache. And if it's not worth it, you shouldn't even bother. And it looks like there, yeah, as you said, there has been a bit of a snag. Um, although it's not technical, it has to do more with the possibilities of problems with patents and... We said on the show that we'd monitor their progress and right. see, you know, see what would happen. So here's the yeah. first report card, you know. It's yeah. A, so what they're worried about is, <laughs> yeah, what they're worried about is the possibility that, um, say, a company like Sco or perhaps Sco would come after them and, you know, start suing the pants off of everybody because there might be some patented code that right. is showing up in some Linux application somewhere. Which is, I think that's a bit of a shame. I, I could see. I, I'd like to see. A huge migration like that fail for technical reasons and not for political reasons. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't like to see it fail at all, but if it had to fail, I would much rather it be a technical problem than yeah. anything else. I think I think it's sad when people are restricted in what sad. they can and cannot use because they have to worry about getting sued by some crazy company that's going around and right. harassing people. I so, totally uh, agree, man. Yeah. And the final bit of news today is that it's a, it's a little tiny thing and this is this isn't like worldwide news or anything like that it's that chris sells you know .net wonk longhorn wonk um, and uh occasional .net rocks guest host yeah and uh 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 guest as well yeah that's right um, yeah the news with him is that he joined mensa today so that's that's kind of weird started mensa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's the news of the week. Oh, and the URL for the Chris Sells Joining Mensa article is shrinkshare.com slash 6S. And that's pretty much that. Now obey. Excellent, excellent job. And, uh, well, man, what can I say about tonight's guest? Uh, I've been looking forward to this show for, for quite a long time. We've been trying to get him on, uh, as you know, for, you know, schedules permitting and schedules been crazy. And of course, mono came out and, uh, then we sort of scurried to try to get him on and this was the earliest we could. So, uh, let me introduce Miguel de Acaza. Miguel is an employee of Novell right now, but he started the mono project with his company, Zimian, and uh, we're going to talk to him about Mono and what it is. Uh, Mono, of course, as you may or may not know, is a, uh, a Unix-based implementation of the .NET framework, and uh, it's uh, quite interesting. It's available for versions of Linux, it's, a ver it's available for Windows 2000 and higher, and it's available for the Mac as well. And uh, version 1.0 just came out, and we're all excited to talk to him. Miguel, how are you, my friend? I'm very fine. Thank you for having me in the program. Uh, I know it's been difficult to get, the, to get the schedules worked out. Well, it was well worth it. I think uh, our fans and your fans will agree. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, the discussion going on on IRC right now is, uh, is pretty lively. Yeah, it certainly is. It was lively before you got there, and when you got there, it just erupted. So you have a lot of fans out there. Mm. Or so, maybe not. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, I don't know exactly what's going on. 
because uh, I haven't been watching it. But uh, are they gi- are they giving you crap or? No, there were just a lot of technical questions then, and they were fairly interesting. Uh, ah. all of them. So okay, we were getting a little crap before. Yeah, it was just too technical for the. I mean, for general discussion. So it's good that it happened there. Okay. Well, did you ever in your um, ever in your life think that you would be where you are now? Um, you mean sitting in my office? Yeah, sitting in your <laughs> office. Uh, you know the the focal point of the focal point of uh, you know this project and and uh, what a what a big noise it's made. Well, I, I, I would say that I'm enjoying working on this thing very much. So I think I I've, I I've, I've, I thought of myself as doing something fun. Whatever it was, so so yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I envision myself having fun. Uh, <laughs> that uh, yeah. that I can say, and it's okay. great that uh, that Mono has panned out to be such a uh, an interesting project, um, and it has uh, crystallized a lot of people that that joined the effort. I, I I mean, we wouldn't have been able to to pull this hack without uh, without the help of all of the people who send their little changes and their little contributions. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, show of what you, you can do with a bunch of people on the internet that have a common goal. How many people are we talking about, and when did it start? We credited about three hundred people on the release notes. Um, wow. We know we missed someone because we just scanned um, the change log entries. Not everybody provided a change log entry, so at least we created three hundred people. But there, there's probably a bit more of that. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to estimate how many, but it's uh, it was quite a lot of guys. Um, roughly 170 of those have CVS accounts, so those ones are easy to account for. Um, and I would say that those are the, kind of like the core group that has uh, permission to touch anything on the Mono repository. And and when did it start? Uh, we began in uh, July 2001, about uh, roughly about the, in the middle of July of 2001. So it took us almost three years. Uh, it took us almost three years to go from uh, from the first release to the 1.0. I mean, from the first uh, code drop, which was pretty much useless, right? It was just a little skeleton <laughs> to, to, to have something that actually worked. Yeah. Um, so initially, I predicted this is going to take a year. Um, but people who know how my, my software predictions go know that uh, that I always massively underestimate the time. So, so this time, mm-hmm. I, was only, I was only wrong by uh, 3x. I think developers <laughs> are general. <laughs> I think developers are generally over overconfident in terms of shipping dates anyway, don't you think? Yeah, but if you tell somebody, listen, we're going to start a project and we're going to finish in three years, I mean, there's, I mean, I wouldn't be excited about that at all. Yeah. So I keep telling myself we're going to ship Mono 2.0 in six months. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> so we'll see when that actually ships. So, so that's, along uh, these... That's how I sleep at night, you know? Along these lines, there's uh, there's somebody in the chat room, Wade, who just asked, "How many person hours went into Mono? Do you happen to have that figure?" Oh, that I, that that would be so hard to compute. I mean, um, yeah. I guess we can compute the ones that were paid employees of Zemian first and Novell later, um, but it would be pretty much impossible to to count the hours of people on the outside because some yeah. people might just spend. I mean. We don't even know uh, how 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 I mean how skilled these people are. I mean, somebody might spend one hour and and write plenty of code or fix plenty of important problems, but it may also take a week for someone who's just getting into the project. So uh, it's really hard to tell how much effort went into this. Hmm. Um, I mean, sometimes you spend a week tracking a, a, a like a, a like the wrong uh, assignment or the wrong comparison in a loop, right? 
yeah. uh, cracking it yeah. all over the place, and then ends up that it's a stupid box. So it's hard to tell how much effort okay. went to this. How about how about we just leave it at more than fifty? Yeah, more than fifty. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, more than man hours would be. Man hours, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was wondering about too. And before we get too much further, uh, how about in your words, what is Mono? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, it's an open source implementation of the of the ECMA standard. Um, so of the ECMA standard for C sharp, the CLI, and then in addition to that, we have implemented uh, two separate stacks. We have implemented the Microsoft.NET stack. So pretty much most of what you see in the .NET 1.1 stack, right? And okay. uh, an independent stack that um, that exploits uh, either Linux or GNOME or Mozilla or Apache-specific features. So um, so we're kind of developing our own uh, little ecosystem of uh, tools and libraries that we can that we can use to to improve uh, Linux on the desktop and and uh, and Linux on the server. Mm-hmm. What is the uh, difference? The main difference between Mono in the .NET initiative, if you want to call it that, that Microsoft has. Well, I think the .NET initiative is a lot larger. Um, if I if I had to compare with something, I would say it's it's purely uh, it's purely uh, the .NET framework, and I would uh, and I would compare with the .NET framework. Okay. Um, so the differences would be from the .NET framework. Um, take the .NET framework 1.1 and subtract the following: uh, Visual Basic compiler, uh, JavaScript mm-hmm. compiler, and JavaScript. Uh, Runtime, uh, subtract system enterprise services, system installation services, uh, com support, uh, code access security, CAS. Um, what else am I missing? Uh, manage C compiler. Mm-hmm. What else? What else? What else? Right. We're very proud of our documentation being laughable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like every other open source project, that's the that's the the signature of uh, of any open source project that respects itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, what else are we missing? How about enterprise services and Com Plus? Oh, yeah, thing? we are That's... missing enterprise services, Com, uh, Com Plus, anything else? Anything oh, that's Windows really Forms. Windows. Windows Forms is missing today. So we're working on Windows Forms, but today is not available. Yeah. Okay. So, and you said the Visual Basic compiler, too, but I noticed on your website that somebody is providing a Visual Basic language. Oh, so here's what. Uh, so here's the, the the full story. We do have a Visual Basic runtime today. So if your application was compiled on Windows, uh, we will run your your application on Linux. We just cannot give you a full SDK on Linux today. So that means that if you have source code, uh, there's not much you can do. So you gotta compile it first on Windows, copy the binary over, and run it. Uh, we're, what we're doing for Mono 1.2 is we're fixing that. We're adding the Visual Basic compiler and we're adding Windows Forms. Those are the two big things that we're adding to the to the 1.2 release. Aside of uh, aside of adding extra ports of the Mono VM. Okay, um, and while we're talking about like what's there and what isn't there and what's different, um, you want to talk about what the goals of the Mono project are? Yeah. Well, basically, um, we were coming from a world of pain um, <laughs> in the Linux world. We were developing applications with C and uh, C++ and uh, and enjoying uh, spending a couple of weeks in uh, with the um, with the memory debugger, finding out who released your pointer, why was your pointer getting overridden, uh, why some things, why some variables magically have different values, all kinds of threading problems and process problems, and I mean you can imagine that it's it's like it's like doing Win32 programming, yeah, right. And if you're trying to create a full desktop, I mean a modern set of applications, you really push uh, you really push a lot of these things. 
So we're coming from uh, we were coming from building this uh, application called Evolution, um, which is imagine it's the outlook of of Unix, yeah. and it was very very painful. Um, mm. And we were looking at the ways of of uh, improving our developer experience. Right? How can we reduce our cost of development? How can we raise the programming level? Um, from where we were at, and uh, so, so we were considering different things: language bindings, using Python, using Perl, uh, mm. using Corba to 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 isolate different pieces of the equation. And uh, along came Microsoft and uh, and this ECMA standard, and and we saw that, and we figured this is really interesting. This uh, this this has a this is this has a this has a little bit of the sense of Java, but they fixed uh, some of the Java limitations that made it unacceptable. Okay. Right. So well, it that was, was really actually, interesting. I was going to say that's going to lead to my to to the next question, which is, why did you choose to do a .NET implementation instead of just going with Java? Well, there were a couple. Of, uh, there's a couple of reasons. The first one is that Java was um, Java first had a bad reputation for performance, and okay. um, and I think that a lot of people told Sun what the performance uh, bottlenecks were. Uh, but I think that the, the problem that Sun had was basically uh, that they were in a very comfortable position. They had pretty much the best uh, VM or the best language or or productized language out in the market. Um, maybe Smalltalk or other things could compete, but the point is they had the better productized environment that that was reaching the public. They had a good PR behind it, and uh, and I think that uh, that Sun um, decided that since they had the best system, they didn't they didn't need to improve it. Um, so they ignored hmm. the input of everybody who told them your system is low. You need to make these changes. Uh, the language has these issues. You need to make these changes to the language, right? Um, I mean, I remember that one of my frustrations with Java was the lack of enums, right? And uh, and it took yeah. and it and it took Sun uh, a long time, and 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 it took C Sharp. I mean, until C Sharp came along, they they didn't do anything. Uh, but with C Sharp, they finally do it in Tiger, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So when uh, when C Sharp did it, they decided to put it in. So I, I think yeah. it's. I mean, that that is only a proof that competition works. But uh, my point is that people had told Sun, listen, you got to implement something like what you guys did with value types. I mean, what Microsoft did with value types. Um, that was one thing. The other thing is that um, people had, had tried to implement the Sun stuff, and it was too complicated. I think that mm-hmm. Sun at some point decided to become very um, academic in some of their APIs. And I think that J2EE and, uh, and Swing reflect a lot of it. Which is it's beautiful from a from a very academic point of view, but in a real world situation, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's everything yeah. is model view controller, which I know exactly what they're doing. It it makes a lot of sense. It's just that um, it's all it's just that it's very useful in one percent of the cases, and that's. Uh, uh, but the problem is that it's only useful in that one percent of the cases. Right. Yeah. In the rest of the cases, you have to do a lot of boilerplate code. So when the Microsoft stuff came out, uh, basically uh, it had a couple of things going on for it: uh, multiple language support, which was something that we on the Linux desktop had been struggling to do for a long time. Uh, second, uh, it had a language which was quite nice. It was basically an improved version of Java, right? Okay. And it seemed like they had solved some of the performance issues uh, that Java had. Yeah, right. the garbage can, collection. Uh, so here's, are you here's talking about? Point. You can fix the performance issues with Java if you're, uh, if you're an, ex- if you have a team of really, really talented Java engineers that make your VM scream, right? Yeah. Uh, but it turns out that you don't need to have that many smart engineers, or you don't have need to have that much budget to make uh, a do- a .NET VM that is uh, that is efficient, right? Hmm. So I think that that was a uh, that was also a turning point. Miguel, are you talking about when you say limitations of Java? 
like the garbage collection scheme, for example? Well, for example, uh, the limitations of Java is the lack of value types, right? So if you want to allocate an array right. of, I don't know, 10,000 points, uh, it means that you have to set up 10,000 objects. And in, and in .NET, instead of doing that, you basically allocate a blob of size of the struct multiplied by 10,000, right? Okay. So you don't need to set up the objects. They don't need to be garbage collected. You can allocate them on the stack. You can pass them. Uh, you can pass them on registers without uh, without having to care right. that they're objects, right? Right. Why should you have a pointer to a byte? <laughs> for example, kind of uh, so so that that was really I mean that 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 is one of the things that people have for a long time known that was one of the problems in Java, and I understand hmm. where they're coming from, which is in the Java world everything is secure, you cannot mess around these things, there's no pointers, and, and I understand some of those things, yeah. but uh, but I think that the market needed something more than, uh, than than pure Java. So we've asked you what what isn't in Mono. Let let me ask you now what technologies are included in mono so i okay so um just a quick i mean just uh, very very executive uh, executive sure. view of it it's uh, the virtual machine a c sharp compiler uh class libraries for ms core lib system system xml ado ado.net and asp.net uh that's part of the the regular stack and then as part of our other stack we have this uh we have tons of other things, um, a, a separate set of database providers, so you can talk to MySQL and Postgres and DB2 and all of the other databases. Uh, RelaxNG, Microsoft likes uh, XML schema. Um, mm -hmm. In the open source world, RelaxNG is kind of more of an accepted uh, way of, uh, of defining your XML document. So we have readers and validators for, for RelaxNG. Um, what else is in there? Uh, GTK Sharp, which is our GUI toolkit. Just like I said, we don't have Windows Forms. Uh, what we do have is a replacement, which uh, which is better suited for the Unix world, and it's called GTK Sharp. Uh, one of and those, is that uh, use the uh, does that use Wine? W I N E? No, not at all. We were using Wine for our Windows Forms implementation, but we haven't abandoned that design at this point. Really? Hmm. Yeah. So what? What? Uh, tell me about your thought process behind using it in the first place and then scrapping that. Because, first of all, let's define it. Okay, so um, so this is independent of GTK Sharp. So today, today yeah. we still tell people use GTK Sharp if you want to target the Linux desktop, right? Uh, for a variety of other reasons, like internationalization and and uh, accessibility. But with uh, when we're doing the Windows Forms stuff, uh, Windows Forms is pretty much a, is pretty much an object oriented wrapper around the Win32 API, and um, and one of the problems is that Windows Forms does expose this uh, WinProc method. Right, uh, it's right. an override that any that any developer can override and catch yeah. uh, and catch messages from the Win32 uh, from the Win32 system. You can catch them, you can respond to them, and uh, it's nice. And, and basically fine tune your controls if you need to. So if yeah. something is not really provided by Windows Forms or a control is not there, or some of the uh, of the effects that you need cannot be done with the with the standard stuff that Windows Forms provide, you could hook up to that. So our thought process was basically well. Um, a lot of people are going to be doing WinProc, like games use WinProc, right? Like uh, all of those games that need to catch the keyboard use WinProc. Right. And some people are doing p-invokes into kernel32 or win32 or user, whatever it's called, right? So we figured if we use Wine, if we use Wine, p-invoke will work out of the box and uh, and WinProc will, will work out of the box. The problem is that Wine and Mono fight with each other over uh, signal handlers. And Wine is Windows... What is yeah, that? and Wine is that this emulator of the Win32 API for Linux, for Unix, yeah. 
So our, the issue that we have is that the wine and wine and mono fight each other for for signal handlers and for the debugger information. So it, they basically it was very hard to make the two of them coexist. Um, so what we're doing now is basically we're writing a completely managed implementation, and um, and we will emulate a few of the WinProc th things. Um, so in fact, our message system basically transforms the native uh, window messages into into WinProc messages. And we still process them that way, but we won't be offering key invoke uh, functionality, mm. or we will have to emulate it on a case-by-case -case, uh, basis. So that was mm. the problem. I mean, it was okay. really very hard to debug, and it was really hard to keep the two of them consistent. Um, all kinds of threat problems. The two of them wanted to have ownership over threat control, so, so that didn't really work out. Yeah, okay. And the problem is that we, we had to do it to find out. So, <laughs> so you're thinking you're thinking now is you're going to just uh, brute force to implement the Windows Forms uh, library? Yeah, well, as uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, as brute okay. force as anything else we've done, right? Right. Which is you start from zero and then you build the whole thing on top of it. Are you going to try to b uh, build some kind of kernel like uh, like the Win32 system and then write managed code around it, or are you just going to try to write a managed code operating system? Well, it it would be it would be like you said. I mean, uh, it, it is like a tiny, tiny Win32 core. Um, yeah. Not really, but it, it basically we're we're, get, we're gonna have to use a WinProc uh, event system. So that we will do. And um, cool. And uh, today we have two two backends. We have the Win32 backend and uh, and the X11 backend. So that means X Windows and Windows. So it works on both. Uh, this new version that we're doing. And uh, and we started today to do an implementation of for the macOS just to make sure that we don't miss something obvious in the macOS to support yeah. the macOS. So so and the, and the driver is relatively small. It's like a thousand lines so far of uh, of platform specific code. Yeah. Well, you know what's you know what's ironic, Miguel, is that out of Jeff and Rory, and I don't know about Richard, but out of definitely out of Jeff and Rory and I, I'm the only one who hasn't run Linux. <laughs> oh, you haven't? No, I haven't. One day, one day, yeah. you will no, be soon, <laughs> soon actually, because I have a virtual PC and I plan to to do it. But you know, I just haven't put the time into it. I know, I know. Anyways, our goal is to make Linux sexy, and I think Mono and thank you to Microsoft for building this thing in the first place. We're gonna we're gonna make Linux a little bit sexier than it was. Um, yeah, because it was well, really not something for the public. Well, well speaking of of Microsoft and Mono. Um, mm -hmm. I've kind of been wondering, do you have any idea how Microsoft is, is viewing Mono's progress? I mean, and, and do you feel that Mono brings anything to Microsoft? That is, do you feel that Mono in any way helps Microsoft? Um, yeah, they don't oh, talk too much about that's it. That's a huge debate. Um, yeah. That's a huge debate. I don't know how, how Microsoft as, as a whole sees Mono. Um, mm -hmm. I know different people uh, have different opinions of Mono within sure. Microsoft. Um, I think it helps Microsoft. I mean, in one hand, it helps Microsoft, and the other one, it doesn't, right? Um, it helps in that we promote the same platform, we promote the same APIs, we promote C Sharp, the language, right? Um, right. We work together on the ECMA on the ECMA thing. So, uh, from that angle, I think it helps. On the other one, um, on the other hand, it doesn't help that there's an implementation of the of their stack on a separate platform. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that we're, we were able to do uh, .NET one one and one one zero. We, what we have today, I think it's going to be a lot more complex to catch up to Longhorn. Um, yeah. Because Longhorn, I mean, at least WinFS touches everything on the system. Um, 
and so does Avalon. So I don't think we're going to, I mean, I don't think we're going to, we're going to track uh, Microsoft steps um, with those two, or at least we don't have plans at this point. They seem to be too complex and we, we rather yeah. invest our time in building managed code for, for things that take advantage directly of Linux as okay. opposed to the emulation bits of, uh, of Windows. Well, now another thing um, to kind of follow up on the question is, uh, do you think that there's a possibility that due to, you know, certain issues that Microsoft has had in the past, that they might have intentionally left this gaping hole for other people to come along and implement .NET on other platforms? Um, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. Um, I have to say, Microsoft has been uh, surprisingly open uh, right. when it comes to .NET. Um, I mean, you have to keep if you if you keep it in perspective. I don't think Microsoft has ever uh, has ever done as much work to pretty much open up the internals of of a technology they developed to the public. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you look at the I mean, war or whatever is that the stuff that they did before. I don't think they've gone through the effort and the length that they have with uh, with C sharp and uh, and uh, the, the 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 CLR. I mean, they mm-hmm. went to ECMA, they opened up, they opened up every bit in the file format. They had separate implementations uh, tracking what was going on there. Um, so it's been a superb job. And, and, and Microsoft keeps sending uh, updates to, to, I mean, Microsoft uh, sent the generic specification to ECMA way before it was uh, released to the public. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I think they've done a fantastic job in terms of opening up the the, the platform. If it wasn't for that, I don't think we would even be looking at .NET. Hmm. Did Did you start with uh, the rotor source and and look at that and learn how it, how it happened? I mean, obviously, wrote the rotor thing, which is the open you know version of the source code for the framework. It has stipulations in terms of licensing. It's an academic only thing. And so, obviously, you didn't just, you know, recompile that for Linux and say, okay, we own this no, now. No, absolutely it's not. Product. Well, in fact, we our implementation was out in the street before Rotor was released. So, no, we're actually very happy that most of the stuff that was released with Rotor, we either, yeah. we either had it uh, working or we were uh, in progress in those areas, which was something that, was, that scared me because uh, when you get code from a contributor, you don't know where it's coming from. So, right. I was worried mm. that if Rotor was released too early, people would just copy-paste code. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that's yeah. the reason I brought it up because you know. I, yeah, we didn't want people, people to have based it. So I'm glad right. to say that uh, that we made our own set of mistakes and we managed to get <laughs> the most of what uh, what was being shipped uh, before rotor shipped. So we had the JIT, we had the BM, we had the collector, we had most of MS Corelib, we had most of the security stuff, uh, the cryptography cool. stack, uh, the system XML, all that stuff done before um, rotor was released. So there was really, really in Rotor when it came out that that was useful to us. Um, but still, I ask people to not look at Rotor if they're planning on contributing tomorrow. Yeah, just for conflict of interest purposes, or well, it's just uh, I mean, you don't want people to accidentally send you a file, right? Or say, yeah. hey, this is a. I mean, we got a lot. Of, I mean, at some point, somebody was sending us disassembly chunks of code because they needed functionality. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, dude, that is just not right. Yeah, right? it would be this Russian guy sending this message like. This is the missing functionality you need. It's like, oh, I don't think you understand how this works. Yeah, yeah. How how does uh, GNOME uh, yeah. relate to Mono? What what's the relationship between you guys and, and GNOME? Well, I founded the GNOME project, uh, which was a, is a, is this desktop environment for Linux. Um, but I've kind of left it to more professional people to run that uh, job, right? Okay. So 
there, there's not a direct relationship other than a historical one. And the fact that I work in the same building as uh, some of the guys working on the GNOME desktop. Okay. So um, I try to encourage them to use managed code. And it seems a lot of them are, are buying into, into C Sharp. Um, I think people are sick and tired of developing with old technologies. And, uh, and you've seen a couple of the, of, the, of the pieces that we've done. We've done yeah. this thing called the Dashboard and Beagle. Uh, mm-hmm. Fbot and a bunch of little other desktop applications. And there's th- these are all on your on your website, right? Uh, yeah, they're all on the GNOME CVS repository. So we're putting them into CVS. Uh, Red Hat doesn't like .NET at all, so so they don't want to ship any of that code, huh. which is too bad for them, right? Yeah, too bad. Yeah. I mean, they don't get to ship all of the cool stuff and all the all the more um, to have buffer overruns till the cows faster, come home. Nicer, sexier stuff that we do. Right. So, what uh, somebody in the chat room wanted to know what uh, version of Linux you use to write Mono? Uh, well, I use different versions because uh, because first of all, Mono we have to guarantee that Mono works everywhere. Sure. Um, so so and we also have different kinds of servers at the office historically. So we use pretty much everything from uh, from Debian to uh, to Red Hat eight, Red Hat nine, Fedora Core one, Fedora Core two. Uh, which I guess is the same thing with every other development organization. You have a mix of everything. Uh, I have a Windows machine on my desk. I have a Mac machine on my desk, too. Um, SUSE Linux. Uh, what else? Uh-huh. Oh, we have a couple of FreeBSD machines and OpenBSD servers as well. So, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly uh, complete mix. The, the mach- the, what I use on my laptop, though, uh, what I use when I'm traveling is Red Hat 9 at this point. Okay, cool. Okay. So, Miguel, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned the building that you work in. Um, speaking of that building, there's some speculation or some talk right now about Sun wanting to buy it. Um, and a lot of what I've been seeing, of course, is that people are worried about what's going to happen to Mono. What if Sun does wind up buying Novell? Um, it, it's my understanding that, and, and I could be completely and totally off base here, but it's entire, nothing would really happen to Mono. Is that right? It's uh, kind that, of, you're it belongs correct. to the community? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm. I mean, I don't know what to say because I'm. I'm obviously not in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard obviously the rumor, happen, but I don't know more yeah. more than you do um, about that. But as, as it is an open source project, it means that even if the even if the twenty something developers that work on Mono from Novell today uh, stopped work on Mono, we still got a community of uh, of two hundred and eighty people outside right. which uh, use Mono. Um, a lot of these people are contributing to Mono because they, they, they either had a passion or they loved C-sharp or they wanted to run their applications on different platforms. So I think that there's a self-sustaining movement already for, for Mono um, mm. in, the same, in the same spirit that it happened with GNOME. I mean, I'm no longer involved at all with GNOME, and it kind of goes mm-hmm. on its own, right? Yeah. They even have their own foundation. Uh, they have their own people doing their things, and they, and, and they keep developing it. So I think Mono would continue. Uh, if if Novell were to stop developing Mono, um, it, it would obviously suffer, right? Because it's always useful to have full-time resources uh, right. working on the project. So it would obviously suffer um, a little bit, but uh, but I'm sure somebody would pick it up. I mean, there's mm-hmm. um, open source has that uh, that attribute; it never dies, right? Yeah. If the project right. is interesting or is it, it's useful, somebody picks it up. Um, so I'm sure somebody would pick it up. Yeah, that's that's a good point. What what would be involved for me to make and compile a, a VBNet application, let's say, a smart client application on my Windows machine, mm-hmm. and just take that EXE and you know 
put it up on the internet and download it from a Mac mm-hmm. that's running mono. Yeah. And have it run. Like what what would break that or what would be required? Um well if you have the dot exe uh and, and it is only VB.net, we don't support any other VB. Okay. Um, if you have the VB.net executable um, and you transfer it in some way or another to Linux, it should run out of the box on your Mac. You should just type mono space and the name of the program. Um, the things that might be missing are things if you use special assemblies, like I know that a lot of people on Windows use the magic library, which I don't know what it is, but I okay. know they do um, because that's the kind of apps that don't run. Um, if you use Windows Forms, it won't run. So as long as your application doesn't use Windows Forms today, uh, you should, okay. you're pretty much set to go. Um, the Windows form situation we helped we, we hope to rectify in, in February. Uh, so in February you'll you'll be able to run all your Windows Forms apps and on the Mac and on Linux and anything else you can think of. Yeah. Well, okay. So, and how how much time more? How long? How much longer do you think it will be before we have Windows Forms? Your best. I mean, you can't commit to oh, anything. Oh, but... uh, that's what I was saying. I was saying uh, February. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. Hmm. Yeah, we're already we're already working on uh, we're already working on it. Um, in fact, we've been working on it for quite some time, but uh, but it didn't make the cut for Mono 1.0. Okay. Uh, we shipped it in, in what we call the alpha mode, and and you could run it and run some appli- some applications, but it's so incomplete that it's not even funny. So that's why it was <laughs> not officially released. Um, I get you. So we're we're making progress, and and my hope is to freeze the tree in in December. So we should be feature complete in December. And then just do uh, the extra two months of bug fixing and, and tuning. So by February you should have it. So uh, so in terms of the the, the WinForm stuff that you guys are doing, are you going to be uh, are we going to be seeing native widgets, or are you going to be doing your own drawing, kind of like what we see in uh, Swing on Java? Uh, we're implementing the drawing using the, the the native operating system drawing engine. So on Windows, um, at least on Windows XP, we'll use the UX theme. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Or UX library, uh, which is a theming library to paint uh, controls that, uh, to look native. We'll okay. have to emulate the Windows, the pre-Windows XP, um, to do the right thing on Windows. Um, but it should look native, and we'll, we're that, we're going to make sure that we get the the feeling right. On the Mac OS, there's an equivalent service called the the Appearance Manager, uh, which is basically an API to do the exact same thing. It's okay. like please draw a scroll bar here and whatever is that the system. Uh, wants to draw it, and, uh, and 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 you do it that way. And and in Linux, we have the GTK theme API, uh, mm-hmm. which basically tracks whatever is the theme that you're using and draws things the way they has to be done. So it will be native. Um, okay, that's good. And this is this is a selfish selfish question, just because I've been waiting for so long to be able to write .NET apps for my OS 10 for a uh, machine for my Apple. Um, does this have anything to do with Coco Sharp, or do you do you have any news on Coco Sharp, or yeah, what's can, going on? Yeah, with I can, that? What I is can Coco tell Sharp? I, I, oh, I'll explain. So, so you know how Windows Forms is this wrapper for Win32, and uh, and if you want to take advantage of Windows, you write to Windows Forms, right? You don't use uh, you don't use an extra wrapper. Mm-hmm. So we've done the equivalent thing for for Linux, which is called GTK Sharp. You want to take advantage of Linux, um, you use GTK Sharp. Um, and on the Mac, if you want to take advantage of what the Mac has to offer, we bound the native APIs for the Mac, uh, for the GUI on the Mac, which are called Coco. And uh, and the guys that did this is a, it's 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 a it's a community on its own. It, it was it it, it actually uh, appeared pretty much out of the nothing as soon as we had a JIT running. Mm. Um, 
And these guys have found the, the Cocoa API, so you can develop these cute, very nice uh, applications for the Mac using the native API. So, um, so that's what Cocoa Sharp is. Um, we're still building Windows Forms for this cross-platform functionality that a lot of people want. Uh, but my personal suggestion, um, and what we're doing actually at Novell for our applications is we're actually writing three different front ends. Um, yeah. For example, we have this product called iFolder, which synchronizes data and uh, and uh, it's it's like a file system that synchronizes, right? Mm. Uh, all of the GUI is actually being rewritten three times. One, using Windows Forms, because that's what you find in Windows, right? Um, and we don't want to have an extra download of of 14 megs to install GTK, right? <laughs> uh, right? So we use Windows Forms on Windows, we use GTK Sharp on Linux, and we are uh, starting to build a Cocoa Sharp um, UI for the Mac. And that means that we get as native as you can get native. Uh, I mean, there's no emulation. Um, now, I understand that not everybody might, might want to follow this path, this path, right? I mean, not everybody uh, can afford to implement things three times, and that's why we're doing this Windows Forms um, implementation. But my personal suggestion is still, if you have the resources, just do the do the UI bits three times, and and the, and the engine uh, can be pretty much shared across mm-hmm. all of them. Um, so if you have the resources, do that because you're going to get uh, the most out of the native experience and the and the native features of your operating system. Um, as for when Cocoa Sharp was released, I think it was uh, we haven't uh, announced it on the Mono site yet because this comes from a separate project as we will. Uh, but it's already uploaded or published into the Apple uh, developer site. Oh, so okay. See cool. It there. Cool. Miguel, um, people in the chat room are wondering what the licensing scheme looks like for Mono now and in the future. What's the deal with that? Okay, so the licensing for uh, Mono uses three licenses uh, for different pieces of the code. Um, the compilers are released under the GPL today. Uh, we might change that to something even more lax, but... Uh, but today they're under the GPL. Um, the virtual machine, so the runtime that executes their code, is written in um, its license under the library GPL, which pretty much allows it to be used for, so you can embed it into your applications or you can use it to, um, it's equivalent of um, of the CLR uh, hosting, you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, so you can do CLR hosting without uh, without tainting your code, right? Mm-hmm. So we license it under the, the LGPL. And the class libraries are under an extremely liberal license called the X11 license, uh, which is like the BSD license, but without the advertisement clause. So you don't even have to give us credit. Uh, mm-hmm. You can just copy-paste the code. So um, that's what we're using for the licenses uh, today. And uh, and what that means is that actually a lot of people are taking cut-and-pasting monocode into, into their uh, compact framework applications. Because you know how the compact framework is missing some things. Uh, so we have right. some fairly complete implementations, especially the crypto stuff and the XML serializer uh, apparently are missing in the compact framework. So people tend to cut and paste those chunks and put, it, and put them into the wraps. And, uh, and that's completely perfect with the license. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. So, so once people actually do, I mean, they, they get all the licenses, it, licensing issues sorted out and they decide models for them and they want to sit down, they want to develop with it. Um, one of the things that I think often attracts developers to Microsoft products and keeps them there uh, is the really nice set of, uh, of IDEs. Um, what's going on in, in the mono world in terms of IDEs? Like if I wanted to sit down and start developing, what would I be using? Yeah, well, yeah, good question. Yeah, the Microsoft, Microsoft is just too good in that area. Um, 
So you guys have a, uh, have set the standard too high. I mean, when I say you guys, <laughs> the Microsoft uh, guys. Um, to, I mean, until recently, <laughs> until recently, the solution is uh, you're a man. Is have an argument about VI versus Emacs or something? <laughs> I mean, every man that considers himself a man can use VI and type code directly, <laughs> right? Right. Or Emacs or whatever. Uh, today, luckily, uh, the light has been shown to many of us and uh, and a couple of guys from the community too. They ported this thing called uh, Sharp Develop, which right. is an open source uh, IDE yeah. for uh, built on .NET actually, and and they ported it over to um, they ported it over to um, to Linux, they took out Windows Forms and they put in GTK Sharp, so to make it absolutely as native as possible, right? Um, so they've done that, and that's been kind of an eye opener for all of us uh, macho kind of Unix people. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the first step. Uh, of course, there's a very long path from where we are to get to the functionality that Visual Studio has, but uh, but uh, it's the kind of thing that we're looking into. I mean, uh, everybody's really interested in this. Uh, the IDE is very simple to use. We're integrating the debugger into that. Is it possible okay. to hook into Visual Studio so that we could develop right to your libraries? Um, yes. In fact, I mean, people have already done it. Um, uh, yeah, there's a couple of tutorials, and we're going to be publishing a couple new tutorials now that it's more of a, now that it's 1.0. People have been doing it, and they've been really nice with the docs. So uh, that'd be we'll nice. publish I mean, a couple of nice. tutorials so you, can, so you can see how to use it with Visual Studio. Right. Uh, there's also this company called uh, Mainsoft. Uh, I don't know if you remember that company. Uh-huh. But Mainsoft uh, takes our, um, our class libraries and compiles them to Java, uh, which, again, they can okay. do it because of our license is so lax. And, uh, and they actually will compile your code, your Visual Studio, whatever it is that you produce with Visual Studio. They'll translate it from um, .NET bytecodes into Java bytecodes, and they will run it on a Java application server so they have a funky product because uh, you develop your ASP.NET apps and it gets deployed into any Java system that you might have. Um, so to some people, that is interesting because they can integrate J2EE with ASP.NET. Um, so it's been done. Uh, we haven't done the homework ourselves, but this company has. Um, uh, hmm. So that's one option. The other one is uh, waiting for the tutorials, which are coming up uh, next week that describe how can you use uh, the APIs that we have, like GTK cool. Sharp or Cocoa Sharp within Visual Studio. Hmm. I mean, okay. at least for Cocoa Sharp, you will be able to build, you will not be able to test, Okay. right? You need to copy the binary over to the Mac to test. But, okay. I mean, or the no. other thing you can do is you can mount, you can do as, um, you can do file sharing, right? So so the executable actually lives on the Mac. So if you have two machines, you can compile, you're compiling one machine and developing one machine, but hmm. run on the other one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, in, in MonoDevelop, uh, there is IntelliSense and there's, built-in documentation viewing and all this other stuff. Um, but obviously one thing that any developers who are maybe experimenting with Linux and with MonoDevelop and Mono might wind up missing, especially if they're coming from the Windows world, is going to be a forms designer. And I've been reading the the uh, Mono book that I bought at the OSCon when you were in town mm-hmm. recently, in which you signed for me. Thank you very much. I'm so excited about that. And yeah. um, I Was, was that at the airport, wanted- Rory, or was that... <laughs> <laughs> that that was actually that was actually down at the Marriott. There was the open source convention here, and I went down and said hi to everybody, and I I got to chat with Miguel for a little while. Ah, uh, cool. Um, but I noticed that there was Glade support for Mono. For yeah, yeah, Mono absolutely. Develop. I mean, um, it it is a different model than the than the forms model that uh, that people are used to. 
yeah. the difference is basically it's, it's a bit like XAML, right? Um, with Glade, yeah, what you that, do yeah. is, is you, you first design your UI in a, in a tool, right? And that generates an XML mm-hmm. representation of it. And then in a completely separate place, you actually develop your, your um, uh, oh, I hate this word. But I'm going to use it. Your business logic. Okay. I hate it. I hate myself now. <laughs> so you separate your uh, your presentation from your business logic, and uh, and that's how we've been developing Gnome uh, all this time. I mean, Gnome is completely built on that. Uh, we have designers doing the design independently of the hackers, which uh, tend right. to suck at design. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> so you can you can basically take the output from Glade. And yeah. then you can you can then you can use that XML and you can turn it into the I mean could you could you have something to convert it into the Coco Sharp code could you have something to do it as GTK Sharp and something to do it um, yeah, in mean, any uh, other particular okay tool set, so um, so with GTK I mean that that's one option and a couple of people have done it but we we haven't done it ourselves so it would okay. be a matter of integrating it into the IDE uh, I can tell you that the problem today we have with Glade is that the integration is not where the Windows people expect it to be. Right. Right. If you add, for example, if you say, well, when I click on this button, I want to call this method. Right. Today with Glade, you have to say, okay, when I call a method, right, uh, on button one clicked. Right. But you still mm-hmm. have to go and type yourself the signature for the method. Right. So okay. the integration. Yeah. I mean, it's a tiny thing. Right. But mm. it, it really helps you uh, when when it comes to to, to quickly starting up uh, your development. Well, for rad development, for example. Your yeah. rad development. So so. We don't have the integration where we would like it to be, so it's definitely one of the the areas where uh, where we're looking at improving that, either by by making changes to Glade, um, or writing a new version of Glade. Uh, and the only reason I'm saying writing a new version of Glade is because Glade is known to have some usability limitations. Uh-huh. It's not your friendliest uh, GUI designer. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Miguel, this is a good place to uh, take a pause and pay the bills and listen to some music. So uh, uh, we're going to pause right now. When we come back, we're going to ask Miguel about some of the more practical aspects of getting started, us Windows people who are Linux stupid. Uh, and, uh, and and we'll also talk to him about that, that famous song that Don Bach sang to him and some of that other fun stuff. So stick around. We'll be right back. Done. I only know that you'll be 
Hey, Carl Franklin here, giving a shout out to my friends at Data Dynamics. Uh, we've talked a lot about Active Reports on this show, and this is no exception. So I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in .NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out ActiveReports for .NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well. Now, let me just tell you, to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application. Okay, It doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about, I have some data, I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. PDF format is supported. HTML format is supported. All the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine, drop dead simple, and the best part, it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show. And we're back. Thanks for sticking around. This is Carl Franklin. Uh, Rory Blythe is out there. Our guest tonight is Miguel de Acaza, the uh, the mono god himself. And uh, before we get back to our discussion with Miguel, uh, I have an announcement to make about uh, some MSDN events that are happening in New England. Uh, okay, these are free events for developers, and uh, Joe Stagner is uh, pro- providing these uh, free talks on .NET. And I just wanted to give an announcement of what these are. So these are free events you can go to at your local place, your local Microsoft place. Um, uh, He's doing developing Microsoft Office InfoPath 2003 solutions with Visual Studio.net 2003, uh, building ASP.NET custom controls, and an ASP.NET 2.0 overview. And you can check it out at msdnevents.com. The schedule is uh, August 10th at 1 p.m. in Burlington, Vermont. August 12th in Manchester, New Hampshire, August 24th in Providence, Rhode Island, August 26th in Boston, Mass., September 14th in Worcester, Massachusetts, September 16th in Hartford, Connecticut, September 21st in 2004. It's free and packed with intense how-to technical information on developing solutions with Microsoft tools and technologies. And uh, it's a great place to come, see cool demos and share ideas with your peers and Get great resources to take home with you. So you can register at www.msdnevents.com. And uh, Rory. Yeah. It's time. You know what time it is, man. It's time for the... It's it's Google Google Weirdos Weirdos time. Weirdos. Yes, indeed. So, and if you don't know what Google Weirdos is, go to www.franklins.net/slash.netrocks. Uh, There's a link. What is Google Weirdos? Because we're sick of explaining it. So it's weird. <laughs> that's all. That's all we're gonna say. So, what are the shouts outs this week, Rory? All right, the shouts outs this week that I was able to find. You got to remember, I put this week's Google Weirdos together in less than three minutes. Uh, because after my dog chewed through my power cord, I wasn't. I didn't have time to get everything together. So. <laughs> 
I don't, it's not as big as always, but there's good stuff this week. The, the shouts outs begin okay. with Rory Blythe. I am your adoptive son and I miss you. Um, <laughs> and I guess I miss you too, Sonny. Uh, I didn't actually, I don't really miss you because I didn't even know until tonight that you existed. So I can't really miss you. I don't even know you. We're going to have to kind of work through this step by step and get to know each other. The it's next probably one. stuck to a Kleenex somewhere. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the next one. Oh God, Carl. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> the next one is Rory Blythe. I enter the tablet, tablet PC competition, Carl. So that was signed you. Interesting. Um, I think there's some ethical issues there. I'm not sure I'm going to have to look mm, yeah. into that. You're, all, you're disqualified, one, whoever you are. Yeah. Next one is Rory Blythe uses Pascal. And I don't, but I used to. And if it were the last language on earth, I would still use it. It's not my favorite, but I have nothing against it. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that I wasn't here to badmouth Pascal. I think Pascal's a fine thing. Next one is, hey, Rory Blythe, this is Carl. I thought you could use some props for this week's Google Weirdos segment. I am not wearing pants. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, not that's really right. props, you <laughs> sick weirdo. That was me. And Richard yeah, you are wearing one pants, too, right? I think. You're wearing pants, right? Yeah, I actually you got, am. You got pants. Okay. No, I'm okay. not. Technically, I'm wearing shorts, so. Oh, well, whatever. It's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, your privies are covered. Yeah, well, not tidy okay. whities <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see Richard's. I'll get that for next week. Okay. Um, I had to go through this so quickly. So those were the shouts outs. Now, here are the Google weirdos for this week. The first one is medicine for dogs that pee. Um, I just want to say, whoever did that, there is nothing wrong with your dog. Um, it's perfectly natural for your dog to urinate and to want to urinate. If your dog did not urinate, you would have some problems. It's kind of like saying medication for dogs <laughs> that breathe or medication <laughs> for dogs whose hearts pump blood through their bodies. There's nothing wrong with your dog. respiration problem. <laughs> and the next Google weirdo is right click isn't working. And I think this is great because I'm willing to bet that as somebody with an iMac and one of those one button Macintosh mice you know, who for some reason can't figure out why right-click isn't working, probably because yeah. there's no right button. Right. The next one is utilities for converting basic programs to run in XP. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's kind of like asking for a utility that would like convert your punch cards or your abacus to run in XP. You're probably not going to find anything there. The next one is eating escargot while pregnant. And I say forget while pregnant. What about like eating escargot while sober? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really? there's so much more risky behavior that can involve escargot. The, the, the pregnancy is something you can worry about much further down the line. There's plenty of innocent people every day who take escargot into their mouths. <laughs> and what about them? That's what I'm wondering about. It's disgusting. <laughs> That's Google Weirdos for the night. So we're back with Miguel de Acaza, the mono god himself, and uh, we've uh, gleaned a few questions from the chat room, but uh, mostly people are concerned about the practical aspect of how to get started, you know. Uh, for a lot of these programmers that listen to our show don't run Linux, they don't understand what man is and they don't know what uh you know what all these command line tools are. So, how does one get started? Where does one go if we're completely Linux zombies and Linux newbies, but we do definitely want to get started with Mono? Um the easiest way really is to get uh, get to the download page in the mono site and get okay. uh, set yourself uh install everything that is in there um we have partitioned uh, mono in many different pieces because in linux people want to have only the necessary stuff but if you just get the large package that has everything in there uh 
it is a good starting point. It comes with Mono Develop, so you should have a familiar face. Uh, maybe not as powerful as Visual Studio or what you're used to, right. but uh, it will give you a familiar face at least on Linux, and uh, and then you can take it from there. Because I downloaded the Windows installation this this afternoon, and that just contained a few EXEs, command line EXEs, and in, in the the what I consider the framework. Yeah, we don't mono. have something like Mono. I mean, we we basically don't didn't produce something like Mono developed for Windows. Um, right. So the the Windows people. That's are a runtime then. Advantage there, yeah. Okay. So it's basically like downloading the .NET framework. Uh, right. Package without IDEs or anything. Uh, so that on Windows on Linux you get a little bit more. Uh, you do get the IDE. Um, okay. As I said, not as good as Visual Studio or right. remotely close to, but uh, but it will get you started. Right. Okay. All right. Good. And what do you recommend is in terms of a version of Linux for the complete Linux newbie? Like, what's the what's going to be the least painful? Uh, I would say that the productized versions. Um, I mean, I'm an employee of Novell, so so you should right. take my comments uh, with the proper grain of salt, right? Um, right? So you can you can you can try the Novell Linux uh, distribution, or you can try Red Hat's uh, Fedora or Fedora Core. Um, I think they're fine products. Um, mm-hmm. Which other one is interesting to look at? Um, a lot of people use Debian because it has a large community, but I, I would say that the two uh, commercial ones are fairly simple for end users to install and get up and running. Okay. Um, the upcoming version of uh, of Novell Linux will have uh, Mono pre-bundled and pre-configured and pre-everything else, so it should just pop up in your menu as a as your development platform. Oh, that's that's cool. So, um, how how long have I guess this is kind of a silly question to ask you, but how long have you been using Unix? You've been using it probably since you were first, you know, you could first crawl up the table and put your hands on a keyboard, I bet. No, not really. I uh, I would say that I started using it seriously uh, around 1992. Uh, and it was huh. mostly because my PC took too long to reboot. I mean, I was a Windows Oh, so you developer. were a PC guy first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I started the programming basic, and then I learned to rope Pascal like everybody else. And, hmm, yeah. and then uh, Windows came out, and I was developing with, uh, uh, with Microsoft C, I guess, C.5.1 or something. Hmm. I don't know. But the problem is I, I kept crashing Windows because I kept not releasing my DC <laughs> or my something. Yeah, right. And the problem is that I, I had a PS280, and it took, about, it, it took about a minute 20 seconds to go from my crash to to me getting back to speed inside Windows, right? So it's like, yeah. oh, this is a big waste of time. Right. So, and we had a couple of sound workstations. And um, so back in the day, I mean, if in a sound workstation, if you messed up something, you would just get a segmentation fault, right? So to me, that was a big productivity improvement. Um, if something was wrong, I would get a seg fault as opposed to having to wait for a minute for this thing to cycle down, right? So I guess the song got me addicted. Okay. Well, uh, Tyson M wants to know, how good is the Slackware support? Um, I don't know. We don't test really Slackware. Um, see, in Linux, we do have a lot. I mean, one of the benefits of open source is anyone can roll their own versions of anything, and you have every right to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, but one of the disadvantages is, is that there are too many Unix distributions. And mm-hmm. uh and we only get to test it on a few. We test it on the on the ones that the that the mainstream people are using. So we do test it on Debian. We do test it on on Red Hat and and SUSE, um, and a couple yeah. of the of the big machines, I guess, three nineties and Solaris and so on, the Mac. But we really cannot test every possible combination. So um, 
So it's re- the question really is how complete is your Linux distribution? Sure. I would say the, the commercial versions are pretty complete. Um, if you're not using one of the mainstream ones, chances are um, it is not as tested or as complete as the, as the big boys. Okay. So one thing I wanted to ask you about is I know that right now people can use NAND with uh, Mono, but are you ever going to be doing any sort of uh, version of MS build for Mono? Um, I, I think time will tell. If uh, if a lot of people start shipping uh, MS build projects, we, we we might look into that. Um, we were we were we were also. I mean, like everybody else, we think that the current set of uh, development tools for for project control and 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 files is just not where it should be. I mean, mm-hmm. we've invested a lot in, in good compilers and languages, but I don't think anybody has really invested the time to fix the the build problems and configuration management problems for software. So um, okay. So a couple of guys in the Mono team actually came up with this thing called Mono Build uh, about a year ago, and it has a lot of really really interesting concepts. It uses a syntax similar to a Makefile, but it's uh, but it, it uses .NET assembly, so you can extend the rules on the system with .NET assemblies, and and it's more in line with what we expect on the Unix world. Um, so we're looking at something along those lines, and uh, and I, I personally think that MS Build is uh, is I mean. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't like to to write those files myself. So sure, that is a problem that okay. I have. I cannot remember the syntax of anything. <laughs> Make files are like, yeah. well, here's a target. Here's how you build it. Uh, go right. So I think right. that there's still a lot of value in the simplicity of a make file. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that the guys doing the mono build system are 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 onto something. I don't know okay. yet what it is, but I think it has chance of being good. As to MS build, maybe we'll have to implement it if if it becomes. Uh, Ubiquitous. Okay. And Ron wanted to know from the chat room: To what extent uh, is Mono going to keep up with the versions that come out of Microsoft of the .NET framework? And I suppose we're talking about the non-Longhorn builds. I think those are easy to keep uh, to keep track of uh, because they're relatively uh, they're, they're relatively well isolated, uh, so they can be tr- kept track of. Um, it is not directly my um, my objective, or or investing a lot more time into things like, like things that are directly related to Unix and Linux, uh, and the GNOME desktop. Uh, but the community does jump into those things. So, so the answer is basically that it depends how much interest there is in the community. Uh, so, for example, you see ASP.NET and ADO.NET as, uh, as 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 complete in Mono, but you don't see things like um, uh, like installation services or or yeah. service process or whatever, because there was not a lot of uh, need from people, so I think it's going to be bound a lot to to what people actually need, um, and what are the or, or what what are the things that people uh, depend on. So if it's something that a lot of people depend on, you 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 probably see a team of people forming up, um, doing it. Hmm. Now, when it comes to the Longhorn APIs, as I said, I think it's uh, I think it's still debatable whether whether we 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 have the energy to 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 follow uh, with right. that, and I think that it, it takes too much advantage of of the Longhorn architecture, so and look how long it's taken Microsoft, you know, with all their bazillions of developers to get version one out the door. So maybe you guys are do you guys think you're going to go in another Longhorn like direction, but don't try to imitate anybody? I mean, I guess you know some critics of the Mono project say that you know you you guys are always going to be playing catch up. Do you ever see a, a launching point for Mono where it just goes in its own direction? Well, it'll, it'll- yeah, it already kind of has, right? Because we, okay. with our separate stack, uh, so it already has done that. Um, 
I personally have a couple of. Uh, I think that what Microsoft is doing with Longhorn is really interesting, but I also feel that, uh, uh, and I know that this is a, a commonplace uh, sentence. Does that expression exist in English? Commonplace. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I think I know it's a commonplace, but I think that uh, the Longhorn APIs are suffering a bit from second uh, second system syndrome. Right. I mean, I've sent a couple of comments to some of the people involved in in Avalon. I said, hey, I mean, I know that you guys. Uh, are doing good, but here, here in particular, as a developer, I think are the problems with Avalon, uh, which is the the one thing I've I've looked the most into. Um, hmm. I I think uh, in its current position, it might be a bit of a liability, um, mm-hmm. um, and we can go deeper into that. But I think that it's it's overcomplicated and uh, for no good reason, and and that Microsoft might be shooting themselves in the foot this time. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Um, so I don't know. The jury is still out on whether and what we have to do. Um, the GNOME community, of course, has its own plans on, on how to support vector graphics and accelerated right. video. So we're kind right. of uh, so we kind of kind fo- we can follow them today, or we can do our own thing. So mm-hmm. so it's still a big uh, a big thing open for debate. And uh, Bob from the chat room asks you a question. He says, "My company currently develops apps in VB6, 40 plus applications." for Windows 2000 environment. There's talk about moving to .NET development, but we haven't seen enough payback if we remain in a Windows environment. But there may be a payback if we could eliminate uh, our Windows uh, cost by moving to Linux. My question is, at this point in time, is Mono slash VSNet an appropriate technology to target our OS migration plan for migrating? Um, I yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, as I said earlier today, as long as you compile on Windows and you deploy on Linux, you will be fine. Uh, yeah. But you cannot. Uh, but we don't have a compiler today for Linux, so you would still have a mixed environment today. Yeah. Um, you would, you'd have to you forego use. your your Microsoft development tools, which you know are obviously very very nice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, that uh, that you can do, and this is what some people are doing, is you can the developers can continue developing on Windows, right? They don't have to to forego their tools, uh, but they can deploy on uh, on non-Windows systems. They can deploy on Macs, or they can deploy on their on their um, on their mainframes, or they can deploy on Linux cheapo three hundred dollar Dell computers, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that's where the flexibility would be for someone like them. Yeah, I think one general rule though is that is that if your administration team has more Windows and IIS knowledge than they have say you know unix and apache knowledge then it's probably best to just stick with what you have but if your team already knows you know unix and apache and doesn't know anything about windows and iis then you know the it's it's questionable whether or not they'd want to move to a microsoft platform essentially it seems to be probably stick with what you know i would imagine yeah and, and also you should not discount the fact that the sysadmins and i and it people really love to learn new things so yeah. so I wouldn't discount the fact that there are people who look into Linux just out of curiosity sure. right yeah and right. um so there might be some of that right um for example, I can tell you that today um there was a in this Munich deployment uh one of the softwares that they're running in there is uh is provided by a German company that only does visual studio development and uh and they turned to Mono and uh, and filed tons of bug reports and bug fixes actually to the project in the past six months uh, to make sure that their provisioning and inventory software worked uh, just fine on, on Mono, right, on, mm. on these Linux servers. So so it is an option. You, developers keep using Visual Studio, but they deploy in different kind of systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any, Fanzu wants to know, are there any known commercial applications running Mono? Um, yeah, there's a, well, there's a couple. Um, 
there's um in fact source gear paid us to do web services for mono so they could ship their vault product uh for huh. linux and mac os right so web services was something we were not looking into doing uh but we got funded by them to do it um we also have Novell is uh, is shipping iFolder iFolder version three is built on Mono and shipping on Mono okay. uh, for Linux and we'll be working also on Netware. Uh, all of the work that the NATS team is doing, which is uh, all this stuff about searching and picture ma- photo management and all of the new desktop improvements, which are commercially supported by Novell, are also commercial products. Uh, there's a company called Winfester, which builds IEM solutions and they certify their software on uh, on Mono as well, and they will do the tech support for Mono as well uh, if you use their product. So there's a couple. They're starting to, to appear, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a good question about strong names. If uh, if, you're, if you're building things on, uh, if you can compile with VS on Windows and run it on Linux, does that mean Mono is ignoring the strong names? No, we actually use the strong names. We use the same, uh, we use the same public keys that uh, Microsoft has. Oh, cool. I think we have a compatibility mapping because we don't have the same uh, private key, obviously. So we have a, a mapping file that says you map this number to our number, uh, okay. and that's how we run those strong name assemblies. And that's how I can run, uh, you know, against. Yeah, that's a good. That's a very good point. Because if you didn't solve that problem, you wouldn't be able to be cross-platform. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Looking for some more questions from the chat room. Here we go. Well, here's one. Um, how about a website using Mono? Yeah, that's a good point. We haven't even really talked about ASP.NET. That's from IC. Who's using websites? Well, the this application in Germany mentioned it was uh, purely ASP. But okay. every once in a while, I pose the, the question, so who's using this for websites? And a bunch of people reply with this um, obscure websites. Uh, nothing of the size of Amazon.com, so... so Sure. You know, nothing like that, but there's lots of little people running uh, I mean, of, of small sites in, in different parts of the world, like Romanian sites that I cannot read or even <laughs> understand what it means. So, so it's being used. It's just uh, nothing really popular at this point. Well, yeah, I and most sites aren't the size say, of... Hey, guys, yeah. Google is completely mono-based, but it's not the case. <laughs> yeah. And most sites aren't amazon size, and I think the vast majority of sites really are you know, smaller projects or you yeah. know, things you're just sticking up for you know, some application that goes out to 20 people or whatever. So that's not too much of a surprise. You know, I can't imagine what it must be like with you guys knowing that Microsoft Legal is like watching over your shoulder for you to violate some sort of patent or some naming or trademark or something. I mean, does that kind of, you know, uh, concern filter down to the developers or like before you can do anything or say anything, do you guys have to have meetings and stuff? I can imagine it can be quite well, uh, we have a daunting. few policies in place, right? Like, uh, like I said, you don't you don't look at rotor code, you don't copy right. rotor code. Uh, we have to implement everything from scratch. We have to have a trail record of how things were implemented. But like, you know, ADO Net, ASP Net, you know, those are like trademark things, and yeah, um, I don't think we even call it ADO. I mean, we probably that's a good point. Maybe we shouldn't be calling ADO Net uh, or VB Net. We'll look into that. Um, but yeah. when it comes to, I think the tricky question is what patents there are. And uh, we're not aware of one right now. But uh, if there was one, our strategy is to either see if there was prior art to the patent uh, at the time it was filed. And if so, yeah. then the patent becomes invalid. If and not, trademarks to too, though. Work, I mean, work, implement the same feature using a de- different technique. And if that is not possible, then we would have to remove the feature and provide an alternate way of doing things. It would be API incompatible. Uh-huh. So that's, I mean, we, we do have a, a process in place when, when anybody claims uh, to have a patent uh, IP claim, 
uh, beat Microsoft or anyone else, right? Anyone yeah. who has built anything there. Right. And the problem today really is that if you write more than 500 lines of code, you're probably uh, infringing on someone else's invention, right? <laughs> oh, God. So, so my advice is stick to really simple scripts if yeah. you want to avoid <laughs> any legal problems. Wow. And do you think there's any worry in the commercial world that Mono is great, but if Microsoft, you know, gets upset and finds some legal precedent if it gets too popular, and like, do you ever, you guys get concerned about that, or do do you think other people are concerned? I think, oh, there's plenty of concern when it comes from uh, from especially from the from the most extremist part of the community. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who just do not like the fact that Mono exists and think that we should be working on Java. Yeah. Um, or doing an open source implementation of Java. They, they, I mean, because Java is also non-free, right? Right, right. And there's all sorts of legal issues there, right? And, and yeah. yeah, of course. And if you implement Java, then then you only get a patent grant. You don't know which patents they own, they own or whether they apply or not. But they say you will get a patent grant if you uh, if you obey the following license and you have to pass the test. So, so it's, so you can't really have a free implementation of Java without uh, without Without potential infringing on Sun, yeah. so 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 it's a it's it's a very uh, it's a you can imagine it's a very touchy issue. There's in one hand you have the the pro Java people, anti C sharp people. Then you have the anti Microsoft people versus the free software people. Look, I mean, in our own community, we have anti VB and anti C sharp people. Now, so there you go. And so, these people are both on the same team. You know, it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> so, exactly. So, and we're in the middle of the of the hurricane, right? So we're in the middle of two battles, and uh, hmm. and uh, so you can see that there's a lot of arguments being thrown on on both directions. Yeah. What do you think so about? I try to stay out of those oh. as much as possible. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, but you guys are the ones that are innovating. So if I'm, I mean, I can imagine. I mean, I've been in that situation where, you know, you're almost afraid to to go in a direction because you're not sure if it's if if it's going to draw fire. You know, if technically, I don't know. But, you know, I'm also talking not just about patents, but about trademarks, too, about it. But, you know, how can you can you say that you support the VB.net language when that's a trademark? Or will you have to say mono well, basic have mono that's basic, compatible yeah. with Visual Basic? You know? I, th- I think we we have to. That, that, it's a good point, and I'll raise it up with the marketing folks to, yeah. to find out the appropriate wording for that. I, I, I just blatantly go through life saying VB.net. Sure. And uh, I don't go. Yeah. Otherwise, I sound a lot more boring than I already sound. <laughs> you know, I mean, technically, uh, you should do it yourself. <laughs> well, so, um, speaking, you know, now that we're having some fun, I want to bring up some things that that actually uh, got some press in certain circles. But Don Box says your ass is his. Your reply? <laughs> I, I, I don't remember what I said. What? The, what, it, what? No, no, I don't know what you. I don't know if you have replied. I mean, we've just heard. You know, Don. I asked Don if he's if he if he wants to recruit you, and he said it's not a matter of if I'm going to recruit him. I am recruiting him. I'm actively recruiting him, and his ass is mine. So, <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's obviously not out of the question. I still think that I can convince Microsoft of the benefits of open source. So, yeah, and he thinks you're a really he thinks you're a really smart guy, and he he said he'd like to have you on the team. I think I think uh, I think people are confused, and they confuse the work of my team with my work. Yeah. So I think that what Don really wants is to hire my team. Yeah. So okay. because they're a lot better <laughs> than I am. So. <laughs> and uh, there was also an event that um, that made 
Spencer F. Cat in the back of PC Week that I don't know if you remember this, but I was actually playing guitar on this when uh, Don sang Miguel to the words of Michelle. Oh, you were the, there. I, right. I was the guitar player, man. Okay. Yeah, so I was playing with band on the runtime, although I was playing drums, and then I stepped out to play guitar. And uh, and Don sang to you, and, and I remember when we got there, he asked, like, you know, some some uh, bus monkey came up to him and said, is there anything I can get for you? And he says, yes, go get me a rose. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it was very embarrassing, but I think my <laughs> wife and my, my mother was there. Yeah, so he put a rose in his teeth and danced with you while while singing Miguel to the tune of Michelle. Yeah, I <laughs> think my wife and my mother really were, I mean, they had a good time laughing at me that night. Oh, it was so <laughs> much fun. So, Miguel, if this is something I've been wondering about ever since I first heard about that. Yeah? I know that Don Box wants you at Microsoft, but I've never heard what he would want you to do there. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of asked him the same thing. That's you know? a yeah. very good point. I don't know. I guess uh, having fun, right? Well, no, that'd be cool. I mean, if you were just hanging out, that'd I mean, be perfectly good enough. But did he ever mention like any sort of a position that you could possibly tell us about? Or no, I don't. No, I don't think we've got to that point. We haven't got hmm. to that negotiation point. Um, huh. We've only, uh, we've only. You pretty much have heard everything that there is to say about it. On uh, with the song and the and the Uranus line, (laughs) (laughs) and how that ass will shine. (laughs) If they want to pay me to to chill out, I'll be I'll be down. I I don't know if I'm I'm suited for this work thing. (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So there there was one more good question in the uh, in the chat room that I wanted to to ask you, and it's from somebody named Tysonum T Y S O N M. He says, "How did?" Yeah, Tyson M. Sorry, <laughs> it's getting late. I'm tired. He says, "How does Mono compare to Doc Gnu?" Uh, how does Mono compare to Doc Gnu? Um, Doc Gnu is a, is another effort to, that attempts to do about the same thing. Um, it is not clear to me what why uh, they're building it yet. I mean, I know why I'm building Mono. I don't know why they're building theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the big differences. Uh, what are the differences? They implement most. Uh, as much as possible in C, and we implement as much as possible in C sharp. Oh, okay. I think it's a replication of effort that has to do with. Uh, um, oh, it's 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 just moronic. I mean, the whole split is moronic. Like, hmm. uh, I mean, you, have you seen the Life of Brian? That movie, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Monty Python, and and then you have two fractions. The the. Oh, right. They have almost exactly the same name, right? Yeah. And the Judea Liberation Army or something like that. So yeah. it's about, it gets as moronic as that. Um, <laughs> it has to do a bit with uh, whether we're going to call Linux Linux or GNU Linux. I uh-huh. mean, I don't even yeah. want to go there because it's so embarrassing. Yeah. Um, so it's like kind of petty political crap. Yeah. So we refuse to go there and Richard Stallman obviously doesn't like that. So so he's got a bunch of people motivated to do another implementation that hmm. will give Linux the credit to GNU that it deserves or something like that. Hmm. So um, I think it's a duplication of effort. Um, but on the other hand, I don't I don't think Mono and .gnu are the last ones uh, re-implementations of the framework. I mean, I think that there's like 50 implementations of Java or maybe 100, right? Uh, I think the same thing will happen with .NET. You'll see .NET for embedded uh, devices. You'll sure. see it on a fridge. Um, I know that there's another two implementations of .NET at least. Uh, one of them which fits in like 50k or 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 200k. Mm-hmm. Yeah, micro something. Yeah, they have one that runs on a smart card. Micro card. They have one that runs on a wristwatch. 
Yeah, well, that's from Microsoft, but I'm talking about a third party. Oh, oh okay. So, yeah. what, so what I mean is, um, I, I think there's going to be more implementations. It's just the same that the, the that the that the dot people are pretty much have the same goals, or they cannot articulate a different goal, and um, and they're a bit of a, I, I would have to say they're a little bit on the ideological uh, perspective, kind of the the extremist uh, side yeah. of free software. Okay. Well, Miguel, before we get to uh, Richard the Toy Boy, which I really want you to hang around because it's kind of special. Um, I, I just want to ask you a couple more questions before we before we do that. Yep. One, and I'll ask you both, and then you can answer them both. One is, what do you like best about the .NET framework? What is what is the coolest thing that Microsoft did with the .NET framework? And the second one is, what is the worst? Oh God, those are very two good questions. <laughs> um, to be honest, I think that C Sharp has an extremely good taste. Um, in design as a language. Um, and I think that Anders so far has done a, uh, an incredible job of keeping the language uh, taste good um, despite all the additions that they've done. So that, that, is, that is, I think, one of the most valuable things that you have, that you have somebody so concerned about doing the right thing for the language. Uh, very unlikely the C++ uh, philosophy, yeah. which George Strusup uh, described as, if it doesn't slow down the default path it goes in, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't think it's a great strategy for language design. So um, I, there are individual pieces of .NET which are just fantastic. Uh, the XML serializer I thought was a pretty good idea, um, but uh, I would say that the language is probably the the, the area that I like the yeah. most. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's managed. I mean, and there's so many side effects of that, right? Right. Uh, boxing and boxing. The, the fact that now we have generics. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we have value types. So it, I think it all comes down from, from the core of ECMA. Um, the pieces that I like the least, uh, I mean, I, it's not really a criticizing Microsoft. I understand they had to ship a product, and, and it's very um, understandable that they they are one of the few people in the industry that they realize that sometimes you have to say, we have to ship now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain areas of the .NET framework that could have used a little bit more design. Um, okay. The collection classes could have used a little bit more of loving um, or learn yeah. a little bit more from Java. Um, right. Tiny little things. I mean, it's nothing that you say, I'm not going to use .NET because of this. Right. Um, but there, are certainly, there is certainly room for improvement. Um, I, I guess my, probably my only beef is that, uh, is that moving forward, there's a sense that there's going to be a lot of APIs written and thrown away. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's a fantastic idea yet. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, Miguel, before we wrap up with you, I'd like you to stick around while we bring on uh, Richard Campbell, who's on the phone tonight from Vancouver, in this section that we like to call Richard the Toy Boy. 39 speakers in my living room. NASA complains about the sonic boom. 10 foot ice cream, 20 feet wide. Strap it in time. How you doing, Richard? I'm good, Carl. All right, you've been out. You've been surfing the web looking for the world's best and world's toys this week. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's become an obsession of mine. I mean, it was already crazy before the show, but since the show, I now have a logical justification for this obsessive behavior. And yeah, boy, I'm I'm taking advantage of it. And everyone wants to know: Will you ever, ever top the smart clamp? <laughs> I I have a couple in my pocket. 
that I just wonder if the FCC will put me in jail if I actually put them on the show. And I and I keep looking at them every week and saying, no, I'm just not prepared to deal with this. Because there's some it. really sick people out on the internet, let me tell you. And they're making stuff and charging money for it. It just baffles well, What's me. sick is people are buying it, too. Well, yeah. Witness the DVD rewinder. I mean, the most amazing <laughs> it's out of stock. of all time. And they're sold out. Yeah, they're sold out. <laughs> they're totally wiped out of them. Oh. All right. Shall we get to the day's toy? And today's yes. toy, I, I was one of my favorites. It's a classic. And I'm using Shrinkster now because uh, Rory, Rory's always right. And so Shrinkster <laughs> is a good thing. So check out Shrinkster.com slash 6G. G as in golf. Okay, I'm That's going to take you to a link for a division of Cisco Systems called LinkSys, and it's pointing to a device called the WRT54G. Seems a like a kind of a... Broadband an... router. It's a NAT router. Now, if you don't have one of these, and I imagine everybody who's on live with us, certainly, if not all listeners, has a NAT router. If you don't, go get one. But that is not what makes this interesting. In fact, you may even be thinking right now, okay, the Toy Boys lost his mind. This yeah, thing's I been around for a am, long, yeah. long time. Big deal. That's not what makes this thing cool, that it's a broadband router. What makes it cool is it runs Linux. Okay. And so let me take you to another link. Okay. Shrinkster.com slash 6H. So 6H takes you to a website on seattlewireless.net, and this is a group of folks hacking the holy snot out of these routers. Because <laughs> it's Linux. They've got a bash prompt out of their $150 router. Awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, what are the kinds of things that they can crank well, it up to? The thing is that there are five Ethernet ports on that Linksys router, right? One is marked WAN, and the other four are regular ports. But inside the box, they're all identical. Okay. So if you're set up like I am with two Internet connections, you can create two WAN ports and do low balancing between them and all that kind oh, of wow. fancy stuff. Huh. Cool. Quality of service stuff. We're all going voice over IP phone now, right? So being able to say, hey, any packets on these ports take priority over all the other packets, that's not a problem. Not the sort of a feature you typically find in a $1,000 router, not a $100 router. But wow. Because this thing's running Linux, it can do it. Huh. Now, before everybody goes running off buying one of these things and going nuts, you can break your router doing this. If you load up a bad patch of firmware, it's not going to work anymore. Now, they have done mm. some custom builds already on this website that you can use and so forth, but it is not a trivial thing to patch up your router. But I wanted to show you, this is really a, a classic demonstration of the power of Linux, which will run on all kinds of different environments, and mm. also a demonstration of this open source environment, this open mm. source world where groups of people get together to do cool stuff, stuff they right. really enjoy. Right. And we get a better product consequence. That's very cool. So do they have any forums up there for people so you can find out, you know, which things work, which things break? You know, Yes. Although, now, this is an open source community. For those of us who have not spent any time in there, if you do not read the docs first, yeah. you will get eaten alive on the forum. Yeah. You have never seen so much RTFM so fast in your life <laughs> if you slacked off before you pump up a message on one of these news groups. These guys work hard on their code, and they expect you to be completely up to speed before you say word one. Yeah, good point. <laughs> All right, 
are you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm that's done pretty my awesome. Cool toy. Pretty I'm glad awesome. you like it. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm already off past the line. I've got a Cisco 3620 in my rack now, so I'm already doing a lot of this goofy stuff the hard and expensive way. But it's certainly a product I would grab onto. So, okay, what's the uh, what's the heinous toy of the week here? The heinous toy of the week. So back <laughs> to Shrinkster.com okay. slash six i six indigo. Now, that's going to take you to a very odd site, which is actually a French site called Violet.net. And they make this box. They call it an emotional lamp. What is it really? A box with blinky lights in it that costs $1,000. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? I mean, it even looks like a kitchen lamp, right? It's frosted, and it has a wire coming out of it. And just for the record, it costs us 790 euros. Okay, oh you can, and you can order it directly from them. They'll ship it to you from France. It runs Holy Linux. Holy shit! It's a lamp that runs Linux. Now, I like the fact that I could have a kitchen lamp that has an IP address. That to me is a feature. But do I what? need to pay a thousand dollars for it? What does it do for a thousand dollars? Well, it's it's an emotional lamp, right? <laughs> Don't you get it, Carl? <laughs> I have teenage daughters. That's enough emotion for me right there. I don't really need a lamp doing that. Well, you might laugh, but I have a friend that bought eight of those guys. Um, no! I don't, oh. Linux. I don't know if it's running Linux, but it's the same thing. Uh, oh, my same God. Same kind of thing. I mean, it, it's almost like it's one of those color organ things you built in grade nine electronics. I'm still waiting for the feature list here. See, well, the, the ones that they bought that he bought were only seven hundred dollars, and these guys oh, are seven hundred ninety euros. Oh, oh well, yeah. this so is a, a bargain. version that maybe doesn't that, that doesn't need a full Unix system to be emotional, <laughs> but they synchronize all together, and it's, it's really pretty. Well, so the that's... idea is that you can hook it into weather, so it would turn certain colors for weather, or sp- certain emails to certain people. You'd get different colors from that. I just don't see the need to decode this, right? What do I want? A box flashing Morse code to me telling my email came in? <laughs> that I paid a thousand bucks for? This is insane. This is the French in action. This is why French people should not develop technology. You're looking at it right here. Make these people stop. Oh, my God. So that's really it. It just it runs lin- it has a computer on board with a with a Linux operating system that controls the lamp. That's right. It that's makes it. different lights, change different no, colors, blinky has different no lights. input. Right? right. It's a thousand dollar box of blinky lights. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. You like well, it? I, I don't know what to say, Richard. Uh how are we going to uh, what are we gonna give away? Uh well, Today, I think Richard. we should give away one of these Linksys routers. Okay, sure. It's not a hugely expensive toy, but I'd really like to see one of the .NET Rocks people sit down, experiment with this thing, uh, try on some of these custom firmwares, and uh, and get a feel for what this thing can do for you, and uh, possibly you know, really take advantage of it. I think anybody who's got a Vonage phone is going to be very interested in a solution like this. Okay. So uh, what's the uh, what's the contest going to be? Ah, glad you asked. Now... In order for you to win one of these prizes, you have to answer a question that comes from the website that we've been looking at regarding specifically hacking the Linksys server. What I want to know is what the original 
version of the Linux kernel running on the Linksys router was, the very first version, and it is listed in there, so if you can take a look around, see if you can find it, the le I want to know the original version of the Linux kernel installed on that Linksys router. Okay. First and one to deliver it to uh, Carl, win the router. So if you know the answer to that, uh, send it to... Uh, .NET rocks at franklins.net and the first one with the right answer is going to win one of these hackable Linksys routers and uh, I'm sorry uh, you can't just uh, send it in the chat room you're going to have to send it to .NET rocks at franklins.net we'll play a little music not really and I'm looking for the version number okay yes we have a we have a winner the answer is Linux kernel 2.4.5, and the winner is Jeff, uh, J-F-A-N-S-L-E-N. I don't know your last name, Jeff, but congratulations. You're in the hackable Linux-based Linksys router. May you have many happy hacking days. Richard, that was just great. Thanks, man. My pleasure, guys. Richard the Toy Boy, cool. ladies and gentlemen, right here on .NET Rocks. So what do you think of that craziness, Miguel? That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you should see you should rewind and go back and see some of the other crap that we gave away. It's some of it's just absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> I will, I will. I'll check it out. Some guy made a flamethrower from a hundred dollars worth of parts at uh Home Depot. That was good. We didn't give one of those away though. Well, anyway, uh, we're coming towards the end of the show. Miguel, you have any uh, last-minute words of wisdom to impart on the listening audience? Anything that you want to plug or, or messages you want to send? No, not really. I mean, uh, if people have some comments or suggestions uh, or they want to get in touch with me, um, they can send me email at miguel at zimian.com or miguel at novell.com. Um, I don't think I have anything else at this point. All right. Well, we're looking forward to future releases of, uh, of Mono and... And I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been for me. I know Rory was really pumped, and, and I also feel bad for Jeff, who runs Linux. He's out in the sound room there, and uh, I'm sure he wanted to jump in several times and ask you all sorts of questions. But uh, thanks. Thanks again. And Thank you, know, you so much for the invitation, guys. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for coming. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye.